For us, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible this morning, if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to ask you a loaded question to begin this morning. What are some things that are wrong with the world today? (laughs) This is why all the old men go to the coffee shop every morning, isn't it? (laughs) To go solve the world's problems. But what's wrong with the world today? Hey, yes, many, many just do not have God. Many have no idea who a God is, unfortunately. Yeah. What isn't wrong with the world today? Yeah, it, it, if you watch the news every night, it just seems like there's more and more and more just snowballs and snowballs and piles that just stop watching the news. <laughs> Turn it off. Um, that's probably the best advice I can give you today. If you hear nothing else today, just turn off the news and don't listen to it. Spend that time in God's Word and studying the Word, the word of God. There, there just seems like there is increasingly more and more wrong with the world today, doesn't there? Um, but if we really think about it, and, and uh, if you're a student of history, um, do we really have it worse off than in generations past? Think, think, about, think back maybe uh, d- during the time of Noah. What's, what's the Bible say that man's situation was like? Yes, every thought and inclination of mankind was evil continually. And I don't think we've quite reached that point yet. Okay, we, we, there's still a lot of good people. So a lot of good things going on, even though it does seem like a lot of bad is going on. And it seems like it's just it's going on, it's ramping up faster and faster on a daily basis. There's still been worse situations in the past than, than what we're faced with now. What was the world like during Abraham's time in Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember what happened when the, the visitors came to Lot in his house? Go back and read that, challenge you to read that. Some really nasty stuff there that happened. Um, what was the world like during the first century when our text was written? What was it like to live during the first century in the Roman Empire? What was going on? Crucifixions. Okay, what else? Yes, extreme idol worship. Very, very nasty idol worship. Things that we would never want to see in broad daylight happening in broad daylight on a daily basis in the Greek and Roman Empire, both. We know from history that many, many of the Roman emperors were pedophiles. Among the worst that you could think of. And they would actually adopt young boys and bring them in. For that specific purpose, this was it was a very very nasty society, full of persecution, full of hatred toward God's people, towards Christians. So there there has been times in past that people have had it much worse than what we have it. And on top of the same societal issues, on top of the the, the same those horrible cultural issues. 
they had to live a lot harder lifestyle than what we live. We, we have a very comfortable lifestyle comparatively. When was air conditioning invented? I'm sure there's still some here that grew up without air conditioning, right? I remember riding in many cars without air conditioning. I drove, my, drove to high school with no air conditioning in Florida. Remember when the sun was, the, the sun, the uh, sun's shining, it's hot out, humidity's 110%, the rain starts coming down, and what are you doing inside the car without any AC? Well, you're sweating, <laughs> you got the rag and you're having to wipe the windshield so you can see where to go. Okay, there, there's been a lot worse situations. People have had to live, a lot more difficult situations that people have had to live in in times past than what we live in today. We have a, a relatively cushy lifestyle, so to speak. Being able to go to the grocery store, buy whatever we want off the grocery shelf, not have to raise our own vegetables and raise our own animals and, and butcher our own animals and, and then find ways of preserving all of it and so all the time and effort involved in doing that and make sure that we have things for months and months to come. We can just put it in the refrigerator, put it in the freezer, and it's there when we want it. Pull it out, throw it in the microwave, right? We, we, live, a, and we live a very easy lifestyle compared to what many have had to deal with in the past. Plus, they still had those same cultural issues. And many suffered much more severe persecution than what we suffer. There are places in the world today that have to deal with those conditions. Third and fourth world countries where they don't have running water. They don't have air conditioning. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. And they suffer severe persecution, afraid for their lives, just because they're meeting together as God's people. So when we're, when we're in despair, when we, we think things are, are very bad, we need to remember what others have gone through before us. But when we, when we look at the world around us, you know, that, I'm not, I don't say all that to discount what is going on in the world because there is a lot of evil. And that, that's the purpose for this message today is to just help us think about how, what's the Christian response to the evil, the wickedness that we see in the world. Because much is wrong with the world today. Just about everything that God says is right and true is being attacked in some way. There's a general lack of respect. God's idea of the family is under attack. Marriages are falling apart. Parents are taught to hate their kids, and kids are taught to hate their parents. Very evil and perverted People control the levers and switches of power in our country and in the world. The fundamental ideas of right and wrong are challenged on a daily basis. Truth has become relative to be whatever I want it to be. And not only is truth whatever I want it to be, but you have to accept it too, or you're being mean. Self-control is virtually non-existent. Societal standards are becoming increasingly immoral and unholy every day. So what do we do? What is the, the Christian response to these problems? Well, the answer to society's problems will always be found among the pages of God's Word. And we have to always remember that. In chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, 
Paul, Paul starts off this chapter by telling Christians to, to walk together in unity. He covers these ideas of having an attitude that's crucial for maintaining unity. He understands that we, we have a, a basis for that unity, and it's only found in Christ. He says to utilize the gifts given, to Christ, given by Christ to His church to help serve and keep the body of Christ together in a growing and unified manner. And, and after he stresses this idea of unity, he goes right into a discussion here in our text, starting in verse 17, to, to highlight this idea that Christians who walk together and they pursue holiness and truth together are stronger and more dynamic for the Lord. Because if we expect the, the, the direction of the world to change, if we expect to see less wickedness and less unholiness in the world, we're going to have to learn to walk together in truth and in holiness. Not man's version of truth, but God's. Not man's version of holiness, but God's. And the first thing that we're going to look at is an admonition, a warning, a caution that he gives. Read with me verses 17 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. It says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." Sound familiar to today? There's a lot there that we could apply to our day and age. He says they walk in the futility of their thinking. How so? What, is, what does this mean? Well, to, to become futile in your thinking, it's, take, it's a progression. And Paul makes it clear that it begins with a hardening of the heart. And that hardening of the heart, that the... the the lack of, of shame and guilt leads eventually to an ignorance that is in them. And because of that ignorance, they're separated, ultimately separated from the life of God. And the final result is that they have their understanding darkened. They live in a, a dark mindset, a sinful mindset. See, each person that chooses to pursue a sinful life does so in a slow progression. And we, we talked about this Regularly, about how sin is a progression. You know, no one wakes up, you know, no one goes to sleep being a normal individual, a good individual, and wakes up the next morning and says, I'm going to murder somebody. Okay. It's a slow progression to get to that type of thought process of, of just a habitual sin over and over and over. And that, that's how the devil works on us with regard to sin. We've seen this progression in society as a whole, even over the last few years, how things have become increasingly more sinful. And in large part, it has desensitized our culture to accept and condone sick things, very nasty things. 
Notice what Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 1. Turn over to Romans with me, if you would. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 28. Here Paul has a a discussion, goes through this this idea of how man uh, is sinful, how God's wrath is coming on sinful humanity. And starting in verse 28 of Romans chapter 1, it says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that, what they, ought, so that they do what ought to, not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And notice in in Romans chapter 1 and in the verses that we just read there, and as well as in verse 24 and verse 26, there's this phrase that he uses, says, God gave them over. That's an interesting phrase. What does it mean for God to give them over to that way of life? What does it mean? Does God give up hope on them? Does God not love them anymore? Is that what that means? What's it, what does it mean that God gave them over? Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so if, you, if you're going to desire that, if you really want to live, that's going to be your choice. It's, almost, it's like you, you made your bed, sleep in it, right? Kind of. There's a point which God says, in other words, that, okay, you want to live an, an unrepentant life of wickedness? So be it. So these are those who who know better, even, according to verse 32. Those who have known God's righteous decree, they know the will of God, what what God has said is right and true, and they, they still willfully practice evil. And those who approve of those who practice them. There's, there's a, a stern warning here for the Christian who, who chooses, who who says that they're walking in truth and holiness. Okay, For those of us who have decided to become Christians, who have taken up this mantle to, to spread the gospel of Christ and to preach God's truth, there's a warning here for us that we don't just go along with whatever's happening in society that's sinful and wicked. That we don't just stand idly by and do nothing about it. Someone once said, the only thing evil needs to reign is for good men to do nothing. There's a lot of Christians in the world today, folks, that are doing nothing, saying nothing, not standing up for truth and holiness. If we want these things to change in our society, we we have to do that. We cannot be afraid to address these situations when they come up in family conversation. Don't change the subject. 
Talk about it. Share God's truth. Do it in love. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect, as 1 Peter says. But don't ignore it. Because the warning here is if, you ignore, if we ignore it, we're just as bad as those who are practicing it. Someone who has lost their sensitivity, who has lost all their past feeling, Paul says, is the one that's not checked by their guilt or their conscience anymore. Have you noticed how few people, and I, I myself am guilty of this even sometimes, Maybe we, we watch a movie that somebody recommended and something comes up we shouldn't be watching. Instead of turning it off, we continue to watch the movie and support it, right? That's a small example. But have you, want, have you noticed how few people blush today? What are, the, what are some of the things that, that would have considered, been considered a, uh, an idea or, or maybe a circumstance where people would blush 50 years ago? If someone was seen in a two-piece bathing suit, right? <laughs> whoa, whoa, cover the kid's eyes. Let's leave, right? What are some other things? That would have, would have made someone blush. Just talking about profanity. Yes, very prominent now, right? See, that, that's what he's talking about here. That, this idea that, that it doesn't bother. If you, you get yourself desensitized to a point to where it doesn't bother you anymore. There's, you, you're not ashamed of certain things anymore. And you, and you notice how our culture has developed this. And we as Christians have to be very careful that we're not guilty of this because God's standard of truth and holiness is much, much higher than what man's standard is. Oh, society doesn't think as bad of that, so I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm just not going not gonna to let it bother me. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm just let it go. Somebody's living with somebody, oh, I'm just, no, that's no big deal. I'm just going to let it go. Right? Innocence, in a sense, has been lost in a lot of areas. <clears throat> August 9th. 2022, just last week, an 80-year-old Washington State woman was permanently banned from the local YMCA pool after demanding that a transgender employee leave the women's locker room. I saw a man in a woman's bathing suit watching maybe four or five little girls taking off their, their bathing suits in order to use the toilet. 
Julie Jamon recalled of the July incident to Seattle radio show, Dory Monsoon, she said, I told that man to get out right away. This incident occurred on July 26th at the Mountain View Pool, which is in the city of Port Townsend, a facility operated by the Olympic Peninsula YMCA. According to local news outlet Port Townsend Free Press, Julie Jamon said she had been a member of the pool facility for 35 years. Jamon said that she was alerted to the employee being in the woman's locker room while she was showering and she heard a man's voice. She told Monson that she alerted the pool staffer to the incident and was stunned when the staff member told her she was being discriminatory and she was banned from the pool forever. This is an 80-year-old. The staffer also allegedly said that the police would be called she didn't ask me what the problem was, Jamon said. If I was okay, nothing about me. It's as if she was just waiting to pounce on me. It was stunning. Oklahoma State University hosted a drag queen story hour for kids as young as two years old this last April. The event, called the Drag Queen Story Hour, which took place on April 9th, was part of an Oklahoma State University Pride Month activity. Description for the event stated that Ami Reddo and Olivia Lycan, two drag performers, would read books that highlight inclusion and acceptance to the young children. The activities during the story hour were geared towards children aged 2 to 8. But all ages are welcome to join in the fun. The Oklahoma State University Museum of Art and Oklahoma State University OSU Office of Multicultural Affairs hosted the event. The Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle announced it will host a week-long summer camp titled A Dragtastic Summer Camp. The Art of Drag slated to take place on August 8th through 12th. This is last week. Individuals aged 12 to 18 will have the chance to investigate drag history. Participants can choose a drag name, learn hair and makeup techniques, as well as developing a character stage presence. At the end of the camp, participants will get to celebrate the new personas with a private showcase. The cost to attend the camp is $370. We celebrate creativity with all members of our community as a core part of our mission, one of the organizers said. Like any other arts enrichment program, we are proud to offer an opportunity for young people to use drag to explore self-expression through creating characters and performances that express and uplift their unique identities, the spokesperson said. What about what God wants? 
These are, these are young, impressionable souls, folks. This is child abuse. At the worst possible scale. Where are the churches mourning over this? What about what God thinks? What about these children being created in the image and likeness of their Heavenly Father? To express and uplift their identities? Our identity is not found in our own selfish desires. Our identity is found in what God wants because we're created in Him and recreated in His Son who gave His life so that man's sin could be dealt with. We have an, a serious identity crisis in America today. Christians have to be walking in truth and holiness, promoting righteous things, speaking out against absolute nonsense like this, doing everything we possibly can in a civil and orderly way to bring back God's way and to help America think about what God wants Because the wrath of God is coming. And it's an urgent need. These things should grieve us to the core. They should be reason for us to want to proclaim God's truth from the rooftops. In schools, Satan clubs are on the rise. Critical race theory and revisionist hate-filled lies about history are, being repla- are replacing real historical fact in the classroom. Anti-God, anti-freedom causes are prevalent. So the, the worse society gets, the more that Christ- the Christians who stand up for truth and holiness are going to stand out and shine brighter. And become even a greater target, a more pointed target for evil to come after. Are we ready for that? Is your faith ready to be attacked in that way? Because it's coming, folks. It's already happening. We have to be prepared to stand up for truth and holiness, regardless of what it may cost us. We... We may be attacked more often. There's already some that are alluding to this new bill that passed this last week that, that added 87,000 more IRS agents. Okay? They just passed it. The president's going to sign it. There's going to be over 150,000 IRS agents. Guess how many agents guard our border and protect our borders? 29,000. 
The government has, is going to declare war. They already have declared war on the American people. They've done it before. They're going to do it again. They're going to use the IRS to come after conservatives. They're going to use the IRS to come after people who believe in God, who promote truth, who aren't tolerant of nasty, sinful lifestyles like we just read about. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to lose everything to stand up for truth and holiness? Because that's what God called you to. That's what it means to walk in holiness and truth. Don't be afraid to stand up for what is right, even if it means the worst. And notice the indicators Paul gives in verse 19 of our text to describe those who have lost all sensitivity to what's true and what's right. He says they've given themselves over to sensuality and unbridled lust and excess of every kind of impurity. They're full of greed. They're, in other words, they're desensitized, seeking ever-increasing forms of depravity. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. And then Paul switches gears in verse 20. A complete reverse course in, in these next several verses here when he, he says, instead, <clears throat> you don't live that way any longer. Reject those sinful, wicked ideas. You walk in righteousness and in true holiness. Verse 20 he says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is how you learned to live in Christ, Paul says. You were taught to live that way by Him, by the apostles. You were taught to put off the old man, your, old, your former way of conduct, your former way of life. Putting off the old self is needed because the old self is never content. And we, we see that in, in life. We, we see examples of that. The, the greedy person, is, is, is there ever enough money for the greedy person? No. Because there's always somebody that has more, so i got to have more. I want to get this, and I want this. It's that keeping up with the Joneses idea, right? The neighbor gets a bigger, fancier car. Oh, i got to have a fancier car. Oh, they got a bigger house. Oh, i got to get a bigger house. <clears throat> they have three kids. I need four kids. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> but... We understand that idea that when we look for satisfaction in the things of the world, it's never enough. True satisfaction isn't going to come through things that are selfish, prideful desires. True satisfaction only comes in Christ when we seek His truth and His holiness. When our identity is found in Him and not in things of the world. And that's why we put off the old self, 
as Paul describes it. Because those who live a life prompted by sinful desires and greed are never truly satisfied. Instead, Paul says, you're to be made new in the attitude of your minds. I love that phrase. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Because that's really the essence of repentance. We don't preach enough about repentance. I was listening to a good friend of mine this last week, a podcast that he has. And and they, they brought up this idea of repentance. And really the... The, the, the number one thing when you look at the major sermons in the Scripture that they preached about, it was repentance, 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 repentance. Why did all the Old Testament prophets preach repentance? Because the people needed to change their mind and change their heart, change their will to conform to God. Why, why did John the Baptist preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is near? Because the people of the first century needed to change their mind and needed to change their heart, needed to change their will to what God wants. Why did Jesus preach, repent and perish? Because the people needed to change their mind, and change their heart, and change their will to what God wants. So if we change our thinking, we change our mind about what's right and what's true, and we start doing those things that are right and true, it will help us to change our heart about those things and the emotions that we have toward those things. You're fed up with what you see going on in the world? Change your actions. Do something about it. And you'll get even more emotional about it. And you'll want to do even more about it because it'll bother you as you conform to what God wants and His will. This is why the key, the key here is transformation Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul even mentions that again. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Purposely reading, purposely studying and retraining and re-educating your mind to be filled with God's desires and His truth and His holiness. And this is only done through an intimate, consistent study of His Word. And we renew our minds only as we set our minds on things above. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Keep your place there in Ephesians. Look, look over a couple of books over. Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, because you're a Christian. Set your hearts... On things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. We truly call ourselves Christians. We're not going to love the things of the world. We're going to love the things that are above. That's what he says here. Set your heart. That means don't love the world or anything in the world. Because the world and its desires are going to pass away. But what stands forever? 
The Word of God is going to stand forever. So set our hearts. Love the things in heaven. And he says, set your minds on things above. Don't think about, don't, don't let the, the daily activities, the daily grind, the worries of life, don't let those things consume our mind and our thinking. Replace it with God's Word. Replace it with His truth and His holiness. The word set. And he says, set your minds. The word set literally means the diaphragm. What's the diaphragm do for us? That muscle, that's, that involuntary, yes, that involuntary muscle just below our lungs <sighs> helps us to take in every breath and exhale every breath. I think what the point Paul's trying to make here with every breath that you take. Set your minds on things above. Focus on heavenly things. It's literally that important. Judge rightly and take care to direct your thoughts with every breath. Pointing them to heaven. Because the less important this world and its desires become, the more important heaven becomes. And we begin to think less and less about our needs here on earth. And we focus more on the eternal. To further illustrate the difference between the old man and the new man, we find Paul making the case for what not to be. In verse 25 through 31 of our text, he says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body, and your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, and they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, and get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Man, I just looked up at the clock. I'm almost... Done here with the time. I was going to do a little illustration here and call Josiah up. Put some sticky notes on him. But these, I'll put them on myself because every one of us are guilty of these things. We've all put on these things, haven't we? If you're real sincere about yourself, you've lied multiple times in your life to other people, to God. Lying is really just an intent to deceive. So if you've deceived somebody, you've lied. All of us have dealt with anger, haven't we? The old man gets angry and he allows it to linger, to fester, to build and get out of control sometimes. No one likes to be around an angry person. That's why James says, understand this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become... Finish it for me. Slow to become angry. 
We've all stolen. If you've, if you've uh, taken a pen from work, you've stolen. <laughs> okay. All of us have stolen from God. There are things that we should have given God, but we didn't. Yeah. The new man stops stealing. And Paul says he works to help those who are in need. In fact, the man who doesn't work doesn't, doesn't eat. Man, if we would just employ that today, there'd be a lot, of, a lot of less stealing, wouldn't there? But during the time when this letter was written, the, the, there were a lot of financial hardships with people, even Christians. That's why we see in the Scripture many churches helping each other, right? The Macedonian churches sent down an offering to help out the Jerusalem church, right? When they needed help, the Jerusalem church helped them when they needed help. We see churches helping each other. People in, in, the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we see them selling off their property and their possessions so they can help to provide for those who are in need. But during difficult financial times, like as we're in now, things may get worse. Some may be tempted to steal what they need. Paul's saying, trust in God. Rise, rise above that hardship. Do whatever is needed to provide for your family in a righteous truthful and holy way and count on the church in those circumstances. We ought to be able to count on each other when we're in need and be willing to aid each other. We've all been guilty of corrupt speech, corrupt communication. The old man doesn't worry about or care about what comes out of his mouth, but the new man avoids unwholesome talk. And seeks to, only do, seeks to only say the things that are encouraging and beneficial and that are uplifting. Because we understand, as James 3, 6 says, that the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And it corrupts the whole body and can set the course of one's life on fire. If you were able to record every word that you spoke for a week and analyze each sentence, how much of what comes out of your mouth is encouraging. Think back just to this last week. If you were able to record every single sentence and then play it back in front of you, how much of what comes out of our mouths would be, actually be encouraging? Something to check ourselves, isn't it? In verses 30 through 32, he gives us a summary of about concerning this idea of putting off the old man, putting on the new. Because when Christians act like the old man, it grieves the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, we were sealed for the day of redemption. The indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to us when we're baptized into Christ functions as a seal of promise for the day when Christ returns. And therefore, we ought to put away those things that characterize the old man. And get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and slander and every form of malice, he says. But like many of the lists that Paul provides in his writings, he, he not only tells us things that we shouldn't do, he doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us those things that we should be. He said, take, take off these things. Get, get rid of those that are part of the old man. Put on kindness, compassion. These are the things we want people to see in our lives. Forgiveness. 
And kindness is just being considerate. Realizing the needs of other people and your responsibility to help fill those needs. And it takes a lot of time and energy to recognize the needs of others and to think that way. To do something about it. James 2, 15 and 16 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you tells him, go in peace and stay warm and well fed. If you just say something about it, that's not going to do any good, is it? Do something about it. Be kind. Be compassionate. In Luke chapter 10, we find the account of the Good Samaritan. And I wish I had time to go into this more because it's such a beautiful parable. It's one that we need to revisit constantly. But ultimately, what happens? You have the, the Samaritans there. He's left for dead by the road, right? The, the priest and Levite come by. What do they do? They cross on the other side. But the Samaritan, the one who's unlikely to help, according to the parable, he's the one that stops. The key phrase in that parable is the other side. To be compassionate, we have to be willing to go on the other side. We're tempted to always want to defend our side of the debate. You know, we, we're familiar with the idea of, I want to be on my side of the car, right? That's your side. This is my side. Hey, we want to defend our side. But the one who's really compassionate will take the first step to go on the other side. In his book, Consider One Another, Aubrey Johnson says, Love is about fulfilling the human needs, and if I am to know what you need, I must get close enough to find out what those needs are. I must cross over. And finally, Paul says, forgive each other. Forgiveness is more than simply thinking about it. It's living in such a way that you show it, that you show you've forgotten What a difference the world would be if we individually and as the church truly took this need to be walking in truth and holiness seriously. The church would stand out like the city that's set on the hill. The world, though it is now their, their understanding is darkened, they may more likely come to the truth that is in Jesus Christ alone. What hope is there if the church lives like the world instead of the holy temple of God that it is to be? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Walk in truth and holiness. Are we condoning evil, sitting idly by while worldliness and wickedness prevail in society? What are we doing about it? The way of the world is the way of the devil and sin. And destruction. And the way of Christ is full of joy and abundant life and life evermore. We, went, we had the opportunity to go to Hillsborough Family Camp a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to give that plug again over and over and over. If you've never been, you need to go. It's the greatest week that you'll ever have. I can't talk it up enough because when you get there, you'll see. Make a point to get there someday. One of the comments that struck me the most for the week, Alex Eddy got up and was at the end of one of the sermon sessions. And he said they had a professor in college that 
gave them a basic outline of what the book of Revelation was about. He said, don't, don't, uh, don't be confused about what Revelation is about. An easy way to remember it is that the devil loses. God wins. You better choose a side and don't be stupid. That's what it ultimately comes down to, folks. God wins. The devil loses. Choose sides and don't be stupid. Walk in truth and holiness. And we're going to offer an opportunity for you today to begin that journey. The only life worth living in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Him, you're ready to start a new life in Christ. We're going to give you an opportunity to be immersed into Him today for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're listening to us online, don't delay. Contact us somehow through our Facebook page, website, telephone, whatever, through somebody that you may know here. Learn what God's will is. Learn what God's truth is. Be bold, courageous. Don't give up.